Well, welcome friends. I'm so glad you were able to join us today for Sunday service at Ananda Village in Nevada City, California. It feels like a, an important time for us to be together to draw on the light of God, the light of the masters, and to act as beacons for that light into this world, to send our peace into many hearts, hearts everywhere. My name is Nayaswami Anandi. This is Nayaswami Bharat, and we're very happy to be with you today. I'll now read from Rays of the One Light, which is a book on um, comparing parallel passages in the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita, written by Swami Kriyananda. And this week's reading is Why Do Devotees Fall? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. An endlessly fascinating question is, why did Judas fall after receiving the extraordinary blessing of being accepted into the inner circle of Jesus Christ's disciples? For Judas was one of the twelve apostles, yet he betrayed Jesus and earned for himself the opprobrium of Christendom for all futurity for his sin. We find Judas reprimanding Jesus just days before that betrayal. Jesus, aware that his disciples would soon be facing with his death, the supreme tragedy of their lives, allowed Mary to express her devotion by anointing his feet with costly ointment. This act of wanton waste, as Judas saw it, awakened indignation in that disciple. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and kept the purse and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Doubt not the power of delusion. Respect it. Indeed, fear it, though not in the sense of cowering before it. For as Yogananda said, one is not safe until he attains nirbhikalpa samadhi, the state of final union with God. Judas, through attachment to money, opened his consciousness to subtle influences, which may be called satanic, that drew his thoughts toward other related attitudes, the importance of worldly power, for instance, and of worldly influence. The Bhagavad Gita gives a graphic explanation of how easily the mind can be drawn downward once it begins to feed on wrong attitudes. In the second chapter, Krishna states, if one ponders on sense objects, there springs up attraction to them. From attraction grows desire. Desire, impatient for fulfillment, flames to anger. From anger, there arises infatuation, the delusion that one object alone is worth clinging to, to the exclusion of all others. From infatuation ensues forgetfulness of the higher self. From forgetfulness of the self follows degeneration of the discriminative faculty. And when discrimination is lost, there follows the annihilation of one's spiritual life. At the first thought of delusion, Paramahansa Yogananda said, 
that is the time to stop it. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning. I'd like to read from Whispers from Eternity, Mystical Poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. And the title of this poem is, Teach Me to Drown in, the, in Thy Light and Live. I come to thee with the song of my smiles. Whatever, my eyes are getting a little weaker. <laughs> Whatever treasures have lain in the secrecy of my soul, I bring eagerly to thee. I bring thee all the honey from, uh, from the hive of my heart. All that was ever mine is now thine alone. The sunlight of this world shining upon my eager hopes and brief fickle fulfillments burn me repeatedly with dissatisfaction. Now I will quench my thirst forever in thy radiant waters. The taper of my aspiration towards happiness will burn aflame with thy coming into a conflagration of bliss. In thy vast exchanging sea of light, I will swim joyfully forever. Teach me to drown in thee and live rather than live in a mirage paradise of earthliness and die. <clears throat> Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting, meditating, and probably doing Kriya Yoga. <laughs> and uh, he was tempted many times by the devil. And uh, at one point, uh, the devil took Jesus high up on the mountain where he could just see all the kingdoms uh, before him, and Satan offered uh, Jesus to have dominion over all these empires if he would follow him. And Christ said, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is said that one should only bow down before the Lord our God. And as the soul progresses, uh, Satan seems to offer us more and more grandiose uh, 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 things that uh, can be things that we sort of secretly have wanted as, as a soul uh, all our lives. And it can be a real temptation and challenge for us. Now, uh, Satan takes a special interest in those souls that are getting awful, awful close to liberation, but he still has his ways with us who are just starting out on the path. He may offer us something that uh, we've always wanted to do, and, uh, and it's a chance to just see, uh, do we want to follow the way of the world and worldly happiness, or do we want to follow God and an endless bliss of an eternity? There was a, a, a man uh, uh, at Ananda, he was an early student of Swami Kriyananda, and when Swami was teaching in San Francisco. And uh, this Ananda member, he met uh, a spiritual teacher who had uh, the tendency to really flatter the egos uh, of people that he met and, and to try to win them over. But this spiritual teacher recognized in this Ananda student that he was a very, very high soul. And he, uh, this uh, spiritual teacher told the Ananda member that if you follow me, I will make you the president of my organization, the main teacher, and uh, you'll be well known uh, throughout the world if you do this. 
And this Ananda member being relatively new to the teaching, but still uh, a high soul, he was tempted by this offer to be the face of this spiritual work and, uh, and to have the opportunity to teach. And soon after that, Paramahansa Yogananda came to him in a dream. And uh, he told the Ananda member that, yes, uh, you could follow this spiritual teacher and you can uh, acquire worldly, flame, uh, worldly fame and uh, you know, people would, will know you and you'll be revered as a teacher. And or uh, you could follow Ananda and Swami Kriyananda and of course Yogananda and you can serve in obscurity. And uh, you, uh, if you do this, you won't be using up your past bad or your past good karma. Uh, you will progress much more quickly towards your final goal. And uh, this Ananda member was uh, an intelligent man, <laughs> and he knew enough to take that choice. And so he continued to devote his life to uh, Yogananda's teachings. And he worked in town at a tech company very humbly. And he was very quiet, but very, very deep. And he progressed very, very far towards uh, uh, liberation. It's not for me to say how far he went, but Swami spoke very, very highly of this individual. And, uh, you know, as a sign of spiritual maturity is, is when we have total indifference to everything in this world except for God's love. Because after a while, we realize that that incredible joy in the spine that we experience in Kriya Yoga and in interiorizing our energy. The Taoists have a, uh, a saying, uh, they stilled their mind and concentrated their spirit. And, uh, the, and that tremendous joy just, it, it, uh, everything else pales in insignificance when that comes. And so uh, God will give us tests to just see which way we want to go. Uh, he'll give us things that maybe we've always wanted to do. And uh, we have to choose, uh, uh, you know, which way we want to go. And in the beginning, uh, maybe people are led easily away from the path. But after a while, we know too much. Uh, as in the Bible, the disciples said, where will we go? Uh, we've, we've tasted God's joy and bliss, and everything else is insignificant uh, in, in comparison to that. And the soul learns that kind of wisdom and can be more steady and assured on the path. Uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. And thinking about this Ananda member uh, who served in obscurity, very humble. A lot of people in the community really didn't know who he was and, uh, and the greatness of, uh, uh, of his spiritual uh, uh, realization. And uh, they have a saying in Taoism that says, the ocean... Uh, is uh, rules all the other hundreds of uh, rivers that flow into it. And that's because the ocean is humble and is taking the lowest place, the lowest elevation. And all the seas fall into it. And uh, we can't get there unless uh, we let go of every ambition in our life that is not of God. When we choose the path of spirit, we're victor victorious. When we choose the path of matter, uh, we lose. And uh, we just get involved with delusion over and over again.
Yogananda said that uh, when we reject the light, we close our eyes to that light. It's not God's fault. Uh, it's our own choice. We, we live in that darkness. And God will wait until we're ready to open our eyes and keep them open and to be able to follow him and to direct our whole life uh, towards him and to try to just merge and give, her, uh, give and offer everything that we have in our lives to him. And the more that we can do that, the more and more we'll feel the bliss of God. And it's that bliss that makes us want to offer more and more of ourselves because we see that this is truly the answer of life. Swami Kriyananda once said that karma is a blessing, a divine love. And sometimes it doesn't appear to be that way. I was talking to um, uh, someone at Ananda who was going through a, a very long sustained test. And uh, it was very challenging for her. And at a certain point, she wanted to bail out from the test. And, uh, and the thought came to me, and I shared with her, it, it's like Yogananda has a, uh, on the operating table, I once had a dream of Yogananda. I don't think it was super consciousness, but he had, he, uh, he was like an old time doctor, and he had a big kind of mirror on his head and a white coat. And I came in and he kind of looked at me very closely. And then he put his hand on each of my chakras as a way of healing me. Well, we know Master comes into our body every night, our astral bodies with his astral body. But getting back to this woman, she, uh, uh, it was like Yogananda had been operating on her on the table for half the operation because she had gone through a lot and, and stayed with it. But at a certain point, she said, I'm, I just got to leave. I just, I'm out of here. And I said, it's like Yogananda is halfway through your operation. And, uh, and he's not going to be able to finish if you just bail out. And... Uh, you know, everything that comes to us, it's to free everything that separates us from God's bliss. And we have to have the courage uh, to accept that process. What did Yogananda say is the best way to overcome karma? It, to, to accept it cheerfully and uh, even-mindedly and without resistance. And when we can, it diffuses the intensity of the spiritual tests because we aren't resisting it, we aren't fighting it, and we're flowing with God's will in our life. And as we do, um, we're getting a whole point of the whole episode. And once we understand, God doesn't have to keep the intensity going as much. We've learned our lesson. And uh, part of spiritual tests are to help us to lift our mind, raise our energy to a higher level of reality so that we aren't ruled by lower levels of reality. And, uh, and uh, you know, suffering brings people to God. But Swami Kriyananda said that uh, it's not just the mere fact of suffering that brings people to God. It's how you respond to the suffering. Do you just stay in the suffering? Or do you raise your energy and lift it uh, to a, a plane of existence that transcends that suffering? And that's what we want to do. And, and uh, Yogananda talked so much about the spiritual path that courage is needed and, and will to actually practice and really um, live the teachings and act on the teachings rather than just kind of go through life and be at the mercy of everything that comes to us.
There's a, uh, I was really struck by the reading, and it's a reading that we all know and have heard, most of us, in the Bhagavad Gita about the power of desire. And I'd like to read it again. We can't hear it too many times. And then I'd like to talk a little bit about desire. It's a slippery slope. Once Dr. Lewis, one of the main disciples of Yogananda, um, was admiring a, a big, beautiful car. And Yogananda was with him. And he said, watch your desires, doctor. <laughs> uh, because as we heard in the reading, Yogananda said, that's the time to nip those desires in the bud and to stop them. They're easier to stop than when once we fully engage in the whole process. But this is what the Gita said. If one ponders on sense objects, there springs up attraction to them. From attraction grows desire. Desire impatient for fulfillment flames to anger. From anger there arises the infatuation, the delusion that one object alone is worth clinging to, to the exclusion of all others. From infatuation ensures forgetfulness of the higher self. And for forgetfulness of the self follows the de degeneration of the discriminative faculty. And when discrimination is lost, there follows the annihilation of one's spiritual life. I'd like to tell you a story that I read recently about a quick-witted crow who grew in wisdom. He was flying uh, in the forest one day, and he saw a piece of bread on the ground. And being quick-witted, and fast, he was able to beat all the other crows to that piece of bread. And he grabbed it in his beak, and he started flying away from the rest of the crows so he could eat his bread in peace. Uh, but the crows, uh, they're, they're a community, and they like to watch each other. And they're, I think, a little bit jealous of each other because if somebody has something, uh, they want it. <laughs> and so, uh, all the other crows started chasing our quick-witted crow uh, to try to grab that piece of bread from him. And uh, our quick-witted crow had to fly really fast. And as the other crows dived and uh, came from every angle, he had to twist and dodge. And uh, he did this for two or three hours, trying to avoid all the other crows so he could eat his piece of bread. And finally, a little bit of wisdom dawned on the crow that said, you know, all this trouble that I'm going through just to eat this little piece of bread doesn't seem worth it. So he dropped the bread down on the ground, and another crow picked up the bread, and it started flying fast away from the other crows, and all the other crows just went after him. Well, our quick-witted crow who learned wisdom decided to fly under uh, on a branch on a tall tree and he sat there in the shade uh, just serene uh, with a feeling of tranquility and thought this is the way to live <laughs> and uh, and you know whenever we put our desires on things that are impermanent unreal they never last they're gone in a moment. Swami Kriyananda talks about that desires, what happens with desires is that they're, they're restless uh, and they facilitate uh, and, um, and there's always an energy blocking that desire because we're living in duality and there's opposite forces to each desire. Uh, the Greeks, Talks, talks about the way up 
and the way down are the same because they're just opposite poles of the same thing because everything is in polarity and duality. And when we live in the world of duality, and that means that we're reacting to things that aren't real, and uh, we can only go so far out, and then it's going to swing the other way. We're living in a world of opposition, and there are all these forces in the universe that oppose us. And it's hard to make headway. I was thinking a little bit about what the world is facing today, this morning, and just for simple uh, or four uh, things that are in major headlines today are the race racism the pandemic and then we've got climate change and then we've got the economy and we got a whole bunch of other things and uh, everybody wants everybody else to work for their cause and a lot of beautiful things are happening right now in terms of uh, expansive empathy on people's part and a lot of good changes are happening but it's like some people are complaining that uh, one cause is taking us away from the importance of climate change and we have so many different things that we have to do in the world today how can we do all of them and the only answer is God Ananda Ma said when people wanted to uh, say that more things need to happen to take care of the earth, she said, don't you know that um, uh, he who made the earth knows how to take care of it? And of course, we have a responsibility to take care of things and to do our part. But all these things that are happening are because people are living in limited consciousness, in a reactive process, and trying to fulfill their life through temporary things that are lo not long-lasting. And there's always an opposing force when you're trying to create change that way if your consciousness is on that level. But when, as Swami said, that when you do something that's virtuous, it's single-minded, and it's backed by the power of God's grace. And in that stillness, we transcend the reactive process. We, we transcend the opposition, the opposites, and we have divine vision, and we no longer see life as separate. And it's that separation that causes us to feel pain and suffering and to seek outside ourselves for fulfillment. And so to come back and, and be a simple devotee that just puts God first, there's a purity in our lives when we live that way. And... Uh, and there's a harmony that brings things together. Paramahansa Yogananda said that love is the most subtle principle in the universe. It harmonizes and unites. And it takes yoga uh, insight in order to see that level of life. That everybody's experience of life is different. And it's depending on their consciousness. You can see the war and strife in life, or you can feel that so many people in the wilderness, so many saints, have said that the world is made from love. And when we can get into that consciousness, then uh, all life is like that. You know, uh, Physical science studies the world, and it can only study the laws of matter, the laws of separation of each thing from the next. They're trying to see how things are interrelated now, and there's more of a sense that things aren't isolated from each other. But you know, Luther Burbank, when he worked with his plants, he was talking to uh, 
a cactus that had spines. And he said that I'll protect you and uh, you'll be safe from any creatures that can eat you. And that cactus just let go of its spines. And, uh, and it was, I think, the only cactus without spines because it felt safe and it was the consciousness of love that transformed that cactus. And, uh, and so, uh, this, this talk is on how devotees fall. And there are many ways that devotees can fall and we've probably have found ourselves falling. Uh, and uh, I remember in the 90s, I had a, a very severe illness that was sort of unknown and it was very grueling. And uh, I felt that I had fallen and, uh, or failed. I wasn't a, a poster boy for how to take a situation like that. Um, and, but I tried my best. And I just go in and I would look at the pictures of the masters because I, I could hardly meditate. I couldn't stand for more than two hours at a time and that. But after going through that period, I felt just this incredible feeling of freedom uh, and not having the sense of doership. And one psychic in giving me a reading said that it was very rare to see someone go through so many challenges uh, and change in incarnation. She might have said that to a lot of people, but I know that I had changed a lot. And what was very, very interesting, I, I have a work uh, in sh uh, sharing nature all over the world. And when I was on the sidelines for three and a half years, my work actually grew much more bigger around the world when I was on the sidelines, not able to do anything than when I was. But it was all a part of that karma of a divine love, that there was a lesson and to cooperate uh, with that. And, and we can never really fall spiritually. We may trip and uh, there may be a period where we, we start to see a part of ourselves that maybe we hadn't seen before. But that's, but we can finally, as Swami said, we can actually get to it and we can work on it and we can become free of it because it's more conscious because the, the whole big part of it is just having the consciousness of it and be able to finally see it and then we could work with it. And so we should never feel discouraged when things come our way and when we, when we don't live up to our expectations. Sometimes we have things that are buried within ourselves, and the practice of yoga with Kriya Yoga and using energy and our devotion, we're creating a strong flow of energy that often uh, kind of uh, covers over these parts of ourselves that still need to be released if we're going to find ultimate freedom. And what will happen, though, is that when we hit those points, God is saying, the time is now. I want you to be free with this now. And if we can cooperate with that and not identify with that, but just see that master, in school they have a, a, a word, individualized learning, where a student needs to learn something and the teacher works very specially with that student in order to help them to learn it. Well, that's what's happening with these kinds of tests. There's a story about uh, a master and his disciple. And in a previous life, the master said that he, would, uh, he wanted to free uh, this disciple. And the disciple forgot about that promise. And in that next life, 
that disciple was the emperor. And uh, he was kind of proud being an emperor. He, he, um, he had a lot of wealth. He could influence a lot of things. And uh, outside his palace one day, as he was walking out the door, he saw a beggar there. And uh, the beggar had a simple bowl. And uh, the emperor uh, said that, uh, uh, I like you, and I'd like to offer you whatever you would want. And so the beggar said, well, uh, I would like you to fill my begging bowl. And so the emperor asked the, the royal treasurer to go get some coins and gems and fill the begging bowl. So they filled the bowl, but somehow everything kept disappearing in the bowl. It was just endless. And so they got even sacks of gold and everything from the palace, and they kept filling this begging bowl, and nothing could fill it. And word got around in the palace, and everybody came around. And it was very important to the emperor that he be able to satisfy this beggar's desire. Uh, he saw it as a, having a loss of faith, uh, a face. And uh, finally, it, it was sundown, and they pretty much cleaned out the royal treasury. <laughs> but the emperor said, I don't care if I lose my whole kingdom. I want to fill this begging bowl. <laughs> and finally, everything was cleaned out of the palace. And he said uh, that, uh, I see that I have failed, but could you answer my a question I, that I'm curious about. Could you tell me what this begging bowl is made of? And uh, the, the beggar, uh, or the master disguised as the beggar said, uh, this begging bowl is made of the human mind and its many desires. And Yogananda said that desires always fed are never satisfied. But desires never fed are always satisfied. And so desires just create more desires and more matter consciousness and more separation from God. There's wholesome desires to help other people uh, Swami has called them divine desires on our way to liberation. Eventually we want to see that God is the doer and uh, is fulfilling all uh, goodness in the world and not have a sense of doership. But there's a transition phase. But this emperor started to realize who he was and he went off with the master and to cut himself off from every desire that he had had before. And he found freedom in that life. And so this is, this is the nature of desire. In the reading today, we said that we should fear delusion. Swami, talked, Swami Kriyananda, he talked about this world is a world of consciousness. This world is not inert. And that there are many consciousness in this world. And our consciousness, depending on its layer, tunes in to different aspects of consciousness that are much, much bigger forces than our own. And these forces that we tune into have a tremendous amount of magnetism and influence on us and really essentially take us over. And, and so it's so important to avoid anything that can bring our energy down because we're working, we're playing with energies that are a lot stronger than our own. And so it's just a matter of where we put our attention 
if we lift our attention up to the spiritual eye and uh, we do our practices, our consciousness becomes more and more a consciousness attuned with the inner light and with God. And so this is, uh, and I under, this isn't a problem that we're probably going to be facing in the next couple of weeks, but when a person experiences Savakapi Samadhi, they feel their oneness with spirit, with all creation. But there's a tendency to feel like this is all happening to me and feeling special. And this attitude has to, to be released that you just see that it's all God and there's no self-identification with the experience. Well, we can use this in, in more practical ways in our lives where we just feel that God is acting through us, is the doer, and uh, all the glory goes to God and um, and just offer everything to God, to more and more feel that God is the doer. There's a beautiful story about uh, uh, Drupada, and he was a simple weaver in his village in India. And he was a great devotee of Lord Rama. And when he would weave his cloth, he would just constantly repeat the name, Ram, Ram, Ram. And when he'd take his uh, weavings to the marketplace, he would say to the people, because they barter in the marketplace, but he would say, by the will of Ram, the uh, cloth costs one rupee. And uh, the labor costs 50 pies, I think that's how you say it, which is, I think, a half a rupee. And so the profit is 75 pies. So the total would be 175. And everybody felt like uh, Drupada would not cheat somebody, and they happily paid the price. Well, one evening after work, Drupada was sitting on the veranda of his little hut. And uh, three robbers were walking down the street, and they were carrying a lot of loot, and which uh, quite a bit was heavy. And uh, they were having trouble carrying it all away. And they looked over, and they saw Drupada chanting the name of Ram on his veranda. And they said, he's a hefty fellow. Let's get him to carry all the stolen goods and put him on his head. And they threatened to thrash him if he didn't. And so Draprada thought, by the will of Rama, I'm being asked to carry uh, uh, these packages. And so they walked along uh, another block, and there are three policemen who uh, uh, ran out, and the robbers all disappeared, and there was Drapada carrying all the stolen goods by the will of Rama. And so they arrested him, they took him to jail, and everybody in the village was shocked because they knew how great a soul and devotee of Rama uh, that Drapada was. And so they Next day, when Rama or Drupada appeared in court, uh, the judge couldn't believe that uh, Drupada was there, and he wanted to really find out what happened. And so he said, uh, well, tell me exactly what happened. And so uh, Drupada said, well, by the will of Rama, I was sitting on the veranda of my porch, and by the will of Rama, three robbers came by carrying a lot of stolen loot. And by the will of Rama, they asked me to carry it. And by the will of Rama, the policemen came and the robbers left. And by the will of Rama, they arrested me and took me to jail. 
And by the will of Rabba, he said to the judge, I'm here before you now. And the judge had tears in his eyes. And, uh, and the judge thought, this man doesn't need to go to prison. He needs to be worshipped. <laughs> and so he uh, let go of all the charges. And uh, Rama was carried by all the villagers, uh, singing Ram, 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 back to his house. And I was just thinking about that, that just the purity of Jabrata's consciousness, where it was always Ram, 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 the blessed name of Ram. And he had no other desires, and Ram was doing everything. God was the doer. And it's a beautiful story about, you know, the secret to not falling spiritually is to stay in a consciousness, a constant consciousness of love, uh, of seeing God as the only reality. And it's the only the pure heart that can see that. And so more and more as we develop our hearts, the more and more we become free of the power of delusion. And we just let it go. We just even don't go there. We aren't attracted to it because we know where our real joy lies. And so it's a process, but it's a process of ever-growing assurance and ever-growing bliss that comes. And, and then, then we're safe. You know, we may have big tests, you know, like Jesus was promised all the wealth of all the kingdoms in the world. And uh, we haven't maybe been offered that yet <laughs> in our lives as a devotee. Uh, and so God will be creative and he wants to root out everything that we have. But our real strength is our love and dedication to God. And that communion with him, where we more and more feel that it's his love, his bliss, that is where our true wealth lies, and that everything else pales in insignificance. And the more that we can have that experience, the more nothing can touch us. And the deeper we can go in our meditations, like in Om, where we're really feeling God, and said that nothing can touch us at all. We see God as the only reality and the only bliss, and that we're made from that reality, and everything else is false. And so more and more, let's try to Keep doing what we're doing. I know that we're all devotees of this path and we put our energy behind our practices, our service, our devotion. And as long as we keep doing that and we don't become too identified with any momentary slips on the path, and don't give them any more power than they deserve. They're just something that comes up and for us just to be done with. The more we have that perspective and the more that we throw our feet at the foot of the guru, and you can say Swami Kriyananda too, the more we'll pass through all the different things that devotees pass through. There was a disciple with Yogananda, and he saw all the devotees running a race. And these devotees were running, and most of them fell down. And some stayed on the ground for a while, and then finally they got up. Others fell down, they quickly got up and kept running. And Yogananda said that was a true, true dream, a superconscious dream. And so the path is creative, varied, filled with drama and interesting episodes in our lives. 
But if we just keep moving forward and we keep our eyes and the eyes and the consciousness of Master will sell through every delusion much more quickly and we won't get caught uh, by anything because our mind is totally on God and his grace and the incredible bliss of his presence. Bless you all. For Afachori, I offer the Psalm of David by Swami Kriyananda.